confused in our minds when people talk about evolution versus creation, or what about all the other religions in the world, or how can you prove that God is true? How do you know the Bible's truth has been translated so many times? There are actually very simple, clear answers to these questions. And so in this series, my desire, my prayer is that we all be equipped. I found myself, just by going through this series, having much clearer answers for people who are asking these very questions. I have a couple of people in my life just in the last couple of weeks that have asked me the very question that I'm actually teaching on. And because I'm going through this content, my answers are much more crisp and precise and effective and helpful to the person who's asking the questions. And so I've really enjoyed this series. I pray that you also really dig in and come to a place where when you, when we're done with the series, you can go online and watch it again. You can go online and listen to them again. And I pray that you come to a place where you're not intimidated or confused or just vague about answering good questions that people are asking about God. You can actually lead people to Christ by answering their questions. So, today we're going to look at the top ten religions of the world. And we're going to see if all those do lead to heaven. How many have ever been asked the question, uh, what about other religions? How could yours be the only right religion? Go ahead and raise your hand. Oh, yeah, everybody. Okay, so everybody, pretty much. And the ones that didn't raise their hands haven't lived more than 24 hours, or you just don't want to participate because you are stubborn. But, so, um, I want us to look at the top 10 religions, and I want us to see what differentiates Christianity from the other nine religions of the world. So, again, in this series, I want to remind you, the Bible does not say, be renewed by the removal of your mind as Christians, but by the, what? Renewal. Renewal of our mind. There's uh, a vast difference between removal and renewal. Okay, so, here we go. First of all, I want you to turn to your Bibles. You have your Bibles on the phone. I have it up here in the PowerPoint as well. And John chapter 14, where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And he's rented the upper room where he's going to have a Savior feast. And he is washing their feet. And he tells them that he's going back to heaven. And then he says this to them. Jesus answered. Will you, will you read this out loud with me? Just say it out loud. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Jesus is reassuring his friends that ultimately everything is going to be okay. And parenthetically, he's telling those who would come after him that everything is going to be okay if they have faith in him. Now, taken by the, the, the word, the last phrase in that scripture has stirred a lot of strong feelings in a lot of people for a lot of years. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, did Jesus really mean that? I mean, it seems like that would be incredibly narrow and even egotistical for someone to say that. Because that excludes every other belief system, every other road to heaven in the world. But this is the first time that Jesus says something like this. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said this. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find it. And his disciples were very clear what Jesus was talking about. 
Some say, like in the New Age movement, they say, well, Jesus, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and life, they're talking about Christ consciousness. And yet Peter was very clear what Jesus meant because after uh, Jesus' resurrection on the day of Pentecost, Peter is out in the middle of the street in Jerusalem where the, the ten cities had come together for the greatest Jewish feast of the year, and he stands up in the middle of the street and says this in Acts chapter 4, 12, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Amen. This is a bold and potentially incredibly offensive assertion. Peter saying that Jesus and his name is the only way. It is so politically incorrect, incorrect to say such a thing. And it really comes off as incredibly arrogant. So this morning, I want us to very quickly look at the top ten religions that people claim and believe on our planet. And we're going to be able to see by the end of this message, is Jesus really the only way? Or is Buddha or Confucius or Lao Tzu or gurus or gods of uh, in India? So are you guys ready to use your mind this morning as followers of Christ? Here's the top ten religions. I don't have my trusting pointer because I can and I like it. So, here we have the top ten religions. Uh, the top one here is Christianity with 33% of the world believing in Christ. Then you have Islam with the next, which is 21%. Then you have, unfortunately, the third largest is the non-religious, agnostic, atheistic, secular, humanists. And uh, then you have 40% is Hinduism. Then you have primal indigenous, African traditional, uh, 6%. The other 6% is Chinese traditional. Another 6% is Buddhism. Then you have Sikhism is 0.36%, and then Judaism is 0.22%. Now, the, uh, the sociologists who identified these uh, groups study religious systems that have at least 10,000 adherents. But if you want to look at all of them, you can go to adherence.com and look at all of them all night long, if you would like. But we're going to look at the top 10. So... Let's go. So the first one, the top ten, or tenth one, is called Juche. The followers, there are 19 million North Koreans. The founder is Kim Il-sung in the 1950s. And the reason that there are uh, 19 million is because there are 19 million North Koreans and it's the only religion you're allowed to believe. <laughs> Juche means self-reliance. Oh, that alone just gives me the his promoter described Juche as secular, ethical, philosophical, not a religion, but sociologists categorize it as a religion because it is a blend of the Korean millennium of Marxist communist thought. So there are 19 million adherents to it, and uh, Jucheism makes no claim about heaven, no description about how to get there. And no belief that there's life after death. Does that sound like hope? No. So let's move to this ninth uh, most popular religion, which is Sikhism. Followers of 12, 23 million, uh, pr primarily in Punjab, India. The founder is the guru Nanak in 1469. View of God is monotheism, which means you believe in one God, not polytheism, which is multiple gods. 
And then the means to God is the five K's. Now, Sikh religion is a hybrid of Hinduism and Islam. Its founder was a man named Nanak Dev, who after enduring violence between the Muslims and the Hindus, disappeared while bathing for three days. And he emerged and proclaimed to get a revelation. And that is that there are no Hindus, and there are there's no Hinduism, and there is no uh, Islam. So he came up with his own religion, which is the adopted monotheism from the Muslims, and he adopted karma and reincarnation from the Hindus. They have a holy book, which they present the book, they read from it, and then they put it to bed in a very worshipful state. And they're monotheistic, and they believe that you continually are reincarnated as you practice the five Ks. Now, I would have to dig into this deeper to really understand these five Ks because they seem, for me, a little odd. I don't really know what to do with them, but I'll show them to you here so you can make up your own decision. Uh, the first K is have long hair. The second one is to have a comb. The third one is a metal bracelet. The fourth one is short pants. And the fifth one is a sword. And I don't say these things to be uh, condescending. It's a... Uh, I'll, I'll jump the gun here. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Where Christianity is God's attempt to reach men. And so we come up with things like this out of our own mind, trying to figure out how we can create a path that reaches God. Number eight is African traditional religion. The eighth largest religion is actually a conglomerate of religions. Sociologists today call it the African traditional religion. There's over 100 million in Africa and places where Africans were enslaved. The view of God is animism or polytheism and polytheism and the means that God is sacrificed. I want to reiterate what I just said a moment ago because this is so important. Because I don't want to, I do not want to communicate uh, the study of world religions arrogantly. Because our whole goal is to reach people for Christ. And one sure way not to reach them is to disrespect their beliefs. Uh, have, you heard the, have you heard the term, seek first to understand, then to be understood? Now that is a very, very important axiom just for human relationships in general, right? First, I truly want to understand where you're coming from then hopefully you'll listen to where I'm coming from. This is critical when you're trying to win people to Christ, is that we respect their religion enough to understand why they believe what they believe. Right. Then we can present to them the gospel. Can they hear an amen? Amen. So, between the various tribes and offshoots uh, in the Western Hemisphere adaptations, there are approximately 100 million people who practice this form of what's called animism. Animism is the spiritual belief that all creation is animated. Can I have this on the PowerPoint, please? It's not up, John. Sorry, Pardon? it's not up there. I know it's not. I'm asking for it to be up there. I don't have it. Okay. Animism, open your ears real big, ready? Animism is the spiritual belief that all creation is animated, that all creation, plants, animals, rocks, rivers, sand, and soil, have animation or life within them. 
So because of this view, they believe in many gods inhabiting rocks and rivers and trees and the sky. If you study ancient Mexico and northern Europe, you know that animistic religions believe that the means to gain favor with God is through sacrifices. Many times there were human sacrifices, now many times they're animal. Like when uh, we've been to India, uh, Stephanie knows, we go there, they almost at the end of every driveway, dirt path from the house, the hut, there are fruits and things out there every morning offering sacrifices to appease the gods. Most animals somehow believe that eventually you'll send after death into the uh, spirit world. In the Western world, you may have heard this, what we call the happy hunting grounds. The Romans called it the Elysian Fields. Remember that? Have you ever seen that? The, the movie Gladiator? Raise your hand. Right? One of my favorite movies of all time. And if, if, my, if my kids walk through the living room and see Gladiator on one more time, they're probably going to kick me out of the house or take the remote for it from me. I just can't get enough of it. But, you know, at the end of the movie, he dies. And then he's walking through a wheat field and he sees his wife and his son. That's the Elysian Fields. They believe it's, it's a beautiful place having grain fields and other natural entities. The key to getting there is living a life that pleases the gods, not having certain things happen to you like being buried with, without your head and other strange spirituals. And then we have number seven, the primal indigenous. This group of re religions is almost almost all animists who still live in the fringes of literary society. Their beliefs have similarities to African traditional religionists. So they used to all be grouped together with sociologists separated them out of respect to their uh, distinctive ethnicity. So this follower, the followers of primal indigenous are 300 million, including shamans and pagans. The view of God is similar to eight. So let's go to number six, which is the reason I'm moving quickly through these first ones because I want to get down to the three and primarily the top two religions of the world. Number six, the Chinese traditional religions. The followers are 394 million, mostly in China. The founders are Lao Tzu and Confucius. The view of God is they have no particular deity. It's, it's an impersonal force. The means to God is not stressed. It's more of an ethical system rather than a religious one. Most of these folks uh, obviously live in China. Lao Tzu was the founder of Taoism and Confucius was the founder of Confucian, Confucianism. Both are mainly, uh, mainly concerned about honoring life and respecting other people and venerating one's ancestors. It's more of a here and now focus. Number five is Buddhism. Am I moving too quickly for you? Are we good? Right. I'm not expecting you to remember all of these because there is a very clear uh, distinguishing factors to all of these religions, which I'll nail in just a few moments. But I want to give you um, a very quick, like a skip in a rock over a pond, so you can get the essence of what each one of these religions believe. And Buddhism, it's another large group of sociologists lumped together because of their similar beliefs and backgrounds. There's 488 million followers of Buddhism. The founder of Siddhartha Gautami. The view of God is not stressed. And the means to God are the four noble truths. Siddhartha was raised in a high caste Hindu family. Uh, so he's part of the leisure class. We had plenty of time to just kick back and meditate about life and problems. At a certain point, he became convinced that Hinduism did not hold the secrets of satisfying life. So he 
uh, sat 40 days under a fig tree and he meditated and at one point he claimed that he was the enlightened one which is what Buddha means the word Buddha means the enlightened one and he realized as he sat under that fig tree that there are four key enlightenments you ready? the four key enlightenments of Buddhism one, suffering is universal everyone can say amen to that, right? Two, craving is the root cause of suffering. I want. And then when you don't get, then you have that disappointment. The cure for suffering, therefore, is to eliminate craving. Good luck. And number four is craving is eliminated by following the Eightfold Path. So it gets a little deeper and more complicated. Number one, right views, chiefly embracing the Four Noble Truths that we just covered. Number two is right thought, which is being committed to renouncing all the pleasures of the senses, which is what Gnosticism is, so that you can detach yourself from the world and learn to crave less and less. That sounds like the opposite of Americanism, doesn't it? <laughs> crave more and more, get more and more, get as much as you can, can all you get, sit on the can, right? <laughs> Number three is right speech, no lying, slander, or cruel, cruel words. Number four is right behavior, no killing any living creatures, no stealing, no sexual misconduct. Number five is right occupation, you need to seek gainful employment. Number six is right effort. This one scares me. Strive to rid yourself of all bad qualities and seek human perfection. Number seven is right contemplation, which is to be alert and observant. And number eight is right meditation, to think deeply and regularly about detaching yourself from the world and its desires, temptations, and entanglements. By following this eightfold path, you can achieve oneness with the universe. And that will leave you without detachment or hindrance. This is Buddhist system. And so there really is not an afterlife. He doesn't discuss God much or the afterlife. So, that is Buddhism. Number four is Hinduism. And there's one billion followers. It's found in 1800 to 1000 BC. View of God is pantheism, which we'll look at in just a second. The means to God is a transmigration of souls or reincarnation. And the view of the afterlife is moksha, which is release. It's primarily in India, holds 14% of the world's population. Hindu does not have a founder. It's the largest belief system of animism. And it's formed over an 800-year period. Hindus believe there's one form, one uniform force in the universe called Brahman. This is what Yoda to be reabsorbed into the great cosmic consciousness that you become one with the energy that's all around you. Hindu believes that this inanimate force, this inanimate force is God. They believe in pantheism, pan meaning all. Pantheists believe that God is in all things. So God is in this stage, he's in this pulpit. Right. He's in everything. He is everything. And so you want to connect with everything. All forms.
force, matter, consciousness, unconscious energy is being recycled over and over and over through reincarnation. This is where the Lion King gets the circle of life. The circle of life, reincarnation. But they call it the circle of life instead of reincarnation. But that is what the Lion King is about. Which is unfortunate because I love the Lion King. In fact, when we started our church, you know, we were in a public school when we first started our church, the elementary school. The first Christian church service we had, they had a massive mural of Mufasa, Simba, and the monkey witch doctor. That was the backdrop. So I taught on the Trinity. And so there are different castes in the Hindu culture. And the idea is to be reincarnated over and over and over and over and over until you finally meet, or you reach the, the top caste, which is the Brahmin priesthood. And the goal is to be born into the Brahmin family. So in the Hindu religion, there are different castes. And you can be the upper class, the mid, the working class, the government class, the lower class, and then solo, there is no class for you. Because obviously you've done some horrible things in your past life. So depending on what class you're born into, that reveals that you are now climbing the ladder through getting to try it over and over and over again. And then the goal is to become a demigod, part of the spirit in the physical world, being absorbed into the unconscious force of the universe, which is Brahman. And eventually, hopefully, you will then be released with all awareness and simply exist as a portion of the universe. Now, fascinating that Stephanie was sharing with us just recently about a gentleman named Kumar, who we will be working with in India in June. So, come on up. Let's welcome Stephanie. <laughs> Stephanie has been in uh, India innumerable times. I've gone with her uh, to India, Ethiopia, but she was just training us and the team of us that are going to uh, India in June. And uh, she was talking to us about a gentleman named Kumar. Do we have Kumar's photo? Did you, were you able to get that up? Great. Here we go. Go ahead. Good morning. So uh, this is Kumar, and we get the opportunity to work with him in June. And uh, his story is just so fascinating. We're listening to all this, and it's like information that we should know. But when you hear someone's story, yeah. it's really interesting. Okay, so Kumar was born into the priestly caste. So he was all the way at the top. He was at the top, yes. Uh, even so, uh, his family was poor. His father died when he was young. He had several older siblings and a baby sister. I think his father died when he was like two or three. And his mother had to uh, give his older siblings away to the orphanage because she could not afford to keep them. Kumar was the uh, oldest son, so as he grew up to five, six, seven, eight, he was supposed to um, perform his priestly duties at the temple. They were temple builders. So he would spend eight hours at every Friday in prayer and meditation, and then he would uh, be expected to bless people as they come to the temple every week. Well, um, he didn't have peace in his heart, and he one day had a vision that the God of gods was going to come to him. Later that day, he was shopping for idols, and he saw a picture of Jesus. So he bought it and he brought it home. And he got it 
then he started praying and meditating to, praying to and meditating on Jesus, among others, for several years. Then he had another vision where angels revealed to him the judge heaven and the judgment day. This really wow. scared him. And uh, eventually he came to Christ and he told his mother, I want to follow Jesus only now. Yeah, he was a teenager. He was 17 years old at the time. Uh, but left all of that, and um, he has he had a goal of planting 100 churches by 2020. After several years, he had planted 11 churches, which seems pretty good. But he was deeply burdened because he had only 13 years left to plant another 89. So he cried out, bitterly, for two months, asking the Lord, release me from my burden, release me from this work, or show me how to do this. And the Lord led him to someone who taught him some church planting principles where he could lead people to Christ, disciple them, plant them, or help them form new churches, and then empower them to do the same. And um, we get to go work alongside this man, among People who are below the caste system and uh, just minister to them and bless them. I cannot tell you how many people, how many Hindu people I have heard have been converted by John 14 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And also, um, the other one you would put up there. Yeah. There's no one. No other name. Yeah. 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 And these people, they're not Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim because they've really studied everything out and they've chosen that way. Most of them, they're just born into it. And they have never heard about Jesus. They've never met a Christian who was loving. And so the most important thing, the best thing we can do, is to share with people in love yes. that Jesus is with them. So how many churches have been planted now? It has surpassed 10,000. <laughs> <laughs> he said it's... Uh, churches because they're just wow. multiplying at such a great rate. But they're trying to just keep track of those that reach a fourth generation and beyond. And isn't it like Christ who came down from heaven to us who were broken and sinful and hopeless? <laughs> we have somebody who's raised Brahma. Somebody who's raised the highest religious class. And he's going down to the lowest, below the lowest people group who everyone else has shunned. And they're considered, what, what, you told us on Sunday that they're just considered like a non-entity oh, in, 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 in the country. They're non-touchable. They're non-touchable. Yeah. And that's what we're going to. Right. And see, there's really no, no motivation within Hinduism to help people because the people who are below them are just working out there. <laughs>
any insects or mice or cows or whatever are holy. You don't eat them, you don't step on them, you don't kill them because that's bad karma. Uh, which is where we get a holy cow from. And uh, literally. And so they avoid these. This is where the New Age movement comes in in the Unitarian Church that has adopted the reincarnation concept. The problem is in, in um, Hinduism and reincarnation, you can go forwards or backwards. But because we're Westerners, we only like forward, upward mobility. So a lot of the New Age um, belief systems and some of the, you see this in uh, the yoga industry and some of the, sorry, uh, Thor, some of the uh, uh, weight training and athletic industries, you find what's called the cosmic optimism, which is that you only go up. You only get to go up. Number three is secularism, non-religious, agnostic, atheists, and that is 1.1 billion in the world. And what do they believe? Uh, they explain the world by saying they choose not to explore faith and religion. Many would say they just don't believe in God or the spirit realm or life after death. This life is all there is. After we die, we're just done. Um, I think personally that's very sad and empty. And you're disconnected from the God who loves you, created you, hardwired you with a purpose and for a person and purpose and wants to spend eternity with you. I think it also can be a cop-out because if there is no God, then I'm not accountable to him, so it's a lot more convenient. But if heaven and hell is real, that is a devastating belief system. And it is a belief system. Number two is Islam, the second most popular religion in the world. And its next in size uh, is 1.6 billion followers. Muhammad the founder. Monotheism is the belief that there's one God. There are the means to get to God, the five pillars of Islam. And the view of the afterlife is. Paradise. We're going to sit down on, on Islam and Christianity because they're the top two religions. Islam divides the world into two spheres, the house of Islam and the house of war. Those that are ruled by Islam and Sharia law are called the house of Islam, while areas that are not yet under Islamic law are considered the house of war and must be brought into submission under Allah. Now, uh, Islam is growing rapidly because of uh, high birth rates as well as aggressive proselytization. I remember in 19, about 1995, Hope and I were at a conference and I, we had lunch with a gentleman who was the international director of one of the major missions organizations in the world. And he said to me, it is not a question about if the European continent is going to be a Muslim continent. It's when is going to be. Primarily because um, the birth rate for non-Muslim, the non-Muslim world, primarily the uh, European people, is 1.2 children per household, where in Islam uh, you have as many children as you possibly can. And so that is exactly what's happened now. 25 some years later, uh, we see Europe is being flooded by Muslims and bringing Sharia law with them and that the primary way that they propagate the religion is through birth, through high birth rates. Islam's founder was named Muhammad who in AD 610 rebelled against the polytheistic teaching of his 
Arab tribesmen and received a revelation that there was only one God. Muhammad believed that the God of all these gods were the gods of his friends, which was the God of the moon, which is why you have the crescent moon as their emblem. Islam means submission, and Muslim means submitted one. So what he told his tribesmen was that we have to be ardently submissive to Allah, the God of the moon. Now Christians and Jews lived in the same town as Muhammad, so he heard about heaven and hell growing up in stories of the Bible. But unlike his Christian neighbors, Muhammad came up with the five pillars of Islam as the means to get into God. And they are this. Number one, Shahada, which is recite the Shahada, which is the Islamic creed that states there is no God but Allah in Muhammad Islam. Number two is the Salat, which is to pray five times a day facing the city of Mecca. Zakat, which is to give to the poor, which is obviously a good thing. Shalm, which is to fast there in daylight hours during the month of Ramadan, the month which Muhammad received his revelation from God. And then Hajj, which is to take a pilgrimage to Mecca sometime in your life if you can afford it. By practicing these five actions devoutly and religiously, religiously, you might reach paradise, but there's no guarantee because Allah is all-powerful and He bows to no one. Paradise for a Muslim male is similar to Christian heaven, but there's a couple differences. I'm going to show these to you because it's important. Muhammad lived in the desert, so of course heaven to him, the image would be lush gardens, lots of good food, and beautiful, tantalizing women. So, there are a couple promises like in the Quran, chapter 55, quote, there are bashful virgins who neither man nor jinnah which is a mythological creature that below the angels that can take human form. There are bashful virgins that neither man nor jinnah will have touched before. Virgins as fair as coral and rubies. And then in Surah 56 in the Quran, quote, they shall recline on jeweled couches face to face and then shall wait on them in mortal use with, with bowls and ewers and a cup of the purest wine that will neither pain their heads nor take away their reason. With fruits of their own choice and flesh and fowls they will relish, and theirs shall be the dark-eyed auries, which are virgins, chaste as hidden pearls, a girdon or a reward for their deeds. So you see that in Islamic belief system, paradise is for men. Doesn't say anything about women other than uh, the virgins that the men get. Uh, and or the, the wives of the Muslims. And then, finally, the last and the number one religion of the, in the world is Christianity. Christianity has 2.2 billion followers. The founders of Jesus Christ, the view of God is monotheism. The means to God, and this is where Christianity separates itself from every other belief system on the planet. Means to God is substitution. That's <laughs> atonement, which we'll talk about. The view of the afterlife is heaven. Its founder is Jesus Christ, who made a claim that no other religious leader has ever made, and that is that He is God. Not just a prophet, not just a guru, not just a religious man. Jesus Himself very plainly said, which we looked at. When we looked at, is God real and is the Bible true? The claims of Christ are very clear. 
He said, I am God who has come down from heaven. And then he substantiated that claim by fulfilling prophecies, performing miracles, raising the dead. Jesus taught that God is one, but he is three in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he expanded the Trinity to include angels and human beings because he wanted to share his love. Because he is relational, therefore he created human beings for relationship. But our means to God is, a separ is, is the, the separating factor. Our means to God in Christianity is substitution. Every other belief system is behavior. It's what we do to reach God. Christianity is the only religion that teaches that you and I have no hope within ourselves to ever reach God. But God loves you and I so much that He came to the earth Himself in the form of a man to take our place as a substitutionary act. The, the innocent for the guilty. The unrighteous, the righteous for the unrighteous. And it says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Isn't that amazing? No other religion teaches this. That their gods would sacrifice him or herself for their followers. Rather than us bringing sacrifices to God every day, God brought His own sacrifice and bridged the gap for us. The Bible says this regarding heaven. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will wipe our tears from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older things, for, for the old order of things, has passed away. That comes from the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, where the Apostle John was on a penal colony, uh, in a penal colony on an island, uh, for he was uh, ostracized and excommunicated, and Jesus appeared to him, the resurrected Christ, showed him heaven, and had him write down, which is the book of Revelation. And this is what John saw. So let's conclude some things here. Do all roads lead to heaven? Well, let's make some informed observations. Number one, every religion claims to be the only way to God. Number two, every religion has a different roadmap. Number three, almost all the ideas of the afterlife are different. Number four, these religions represent 98% of all humanity, so probably the right choices among them. And number five, some people ask, well, would a loving God let sincere people miss heaven? You ever heard that before? Would a loving God send someone to hell is the way they usually pray this is how I respond to that. All roads do lead to heaven. But for judgment, only one road leads to salvation. Look at the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, And just as each person is destined to die once, that completely eliminates and obliterates reincarnation. <coughs> just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes... The judgment. Here's the way I like to say it. Religion, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Religion is man's attempt to reach God through works and behavior modification. 
And you just get reincarnated over and over and over and over and over and over. You do, you do, you do. You've got four belief systems. You've got eight pillars. You've got, right? You've got all these things you have to do to reach God. Christianity is God says you have no hope of reaching me. I'm holy. I am perfect. But because I love you so much and created you to spend eternity with me, I will reach you. Can everybody say thanks? So here's the question. Would a loving God tell one religion in the world that a certain way was the only way and then whisper the same thing to every other religion in the world? Let me ask you another question. If you were the enemy and you knew the plan of salvation, you knew that Jesus was the only way. What would you do? Sincere question. If you were the enemy, I'm talking about Satan, who, who Jesus talked about often, who you see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you were him, and you knew Jesus was the only way, the only hope, what would you do? Confusion. Deception. Lies. Now I'm not saying that the precious people on the planet are not sincere. But you can be sincerely wrong. And again, that sounds arrogant and narrow. But life is truth. What if what Jesus said is really true? That He is the only way to God. Then if we cared about people, we would spend our lives sharing that good news. No matter what their reaction or how the church may fall, our compassionate response to the gospel is not to protect our reputation to be politically correct at the expense of somebody else's eternal destination. But rather to lay our lives down for those who have not yet come to Christ so that some may find Him and we spend eternity together. The Bible teaches this in Romans 3.23. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So the question is, should I spend my life trying to be perfect? Or should I spend my life having been forgiven? The Bible says in Romans 6.23, very plainly, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I talked, I said at the beginning of this message that the answers to these questions that seem overwhelming, complicated, confusing, and intimidating are really simple. You can look at all these religions I just talked about, and you don't have to memorize all of the facts of these religions. All you have to know is every other religion on the planet is about you working as hard as you can to become a perfect human being. So that you will appease your gods and maybe one day you'll re re reach nirvana or be accepted by God. And you know this by when I ask people the question, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? I only get two answers. Yes, and I don't know. Actually, sometimes people say not a chance. <laughs> if they say yes, 
I say, how do you know? And if they are not a Christ follower, the only answer you get is because I'm a good person. Uh-huh. Because I've been good to others. But, so you see, that's a worse religion. I'm working my way. I'm doing the best I can. And hopefully one day. The other answer I get is I don't know. And my answer to them is, would you like that question mark turned into an exclamation point? I've told you this before. Some of you haven't heard it. I'll say it again very quickly. I was in, this, I was in uh, Ethiopia. And we were leading Muslims to Christ one at a time because you can't do it in a whole group because they won't give their life to Christ in front of their friends and family because they will be kicked out of the village. They'll be tortured and maybe murdered. But it was, the storm was coming, and so we gathered 300 of them out in the village uh, in front of their house, and we just went ahead and just did a mass message. And when I said to them, when I die, I know I'm going to heaven. I was just saying it like nonchalantly, like I've said a million times in my life, because I've been following Christ now for 35 years, so it's just second nature to me, knowing when I die, if I drew my last breath right here, I know I'm going to see Jesus face to face. Not because I'm a good person, but because he's a good God. Amen. <laughs> Pick me up when I have no chance of making it to heaven. When I said that, all 300 at one time went, <gasps> and I don't know if you've heard, no, I know you have. Who has? 300 people gasping at the same time, spontaneously. It hit me like, whoa. I said, what was that? To my interpreter, he said, they have never, ever heard somebody ever say that before. Because they're Muslim and they are doing the five pillars. They have no idea. They don't know. They're, they're afraid of Allah. But here's what the Bible promises. John 1, 12. To all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Salvation is a free gift. Which is why I brought this present this morning. It is a gift. Most people, family of God, including Westerners, those you work with, your neighbors, your friends, your family members, have never heard that salvation is a gift. You may think they've heard it, but they haven't. Many of them have not heard it. Some have heard it and they reject the gift. We have to pray for you. But many have never heard it. So I'm saying to you today that salvation Heaven is a free gift. All you have to do is receive. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the clarity of the gospel. So simple. So clear. And so liberating. God, we pray. We pray for every person in our city. In San Diego, who's not yet heard the gospel, that they would hear it, that we, your people, would share it, give us opportunities this week to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. Open our eyes, God, don't let us live day after day, month after month, year after year, blind to your hearts, afraid of what people think of us. God, we pray you open their eyes, open their hearts, open their ears, so they will hear the good news and believe. And 
come to your son Jesus. God, I pray that your people would be clear communicators, unintimidated, unashamed, unafraid, to share the best message on the planet. Now, for those